kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Did you know that on U.S. Army bases, soldiers get a tattoo every day? Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. This week, we'll talk about tattoos and why you should keep reading and writing as you age. When you say the word tattoo, most people think body art. You might picture a World War II sailor with a heart on his bicep, inscribed with the word mother. You might see a tattooed lady from an old-time circus. Or you might think fondly of your favorite barista. But chances are, you don't hear this. That's the sound of a different type of tattoo. You might be surprised to learn that the word tattoo has two different meanings with two different origins. The first refers to images or patterns permanently drawn on the skin. These are created by puncturing the skin and adding ink. Sometimes this is done with needles, sometimes with bones or thorns. Sometimes the ink is introduced into a simple pinprick. Other times it's added to a scratch or even a knife slash. But whether you think tattooing is cool or creepy, humans have been doing it since the dawn of civilization. We've found tattoos on Egyptian mummies from 2000 BC. We've also found what might be tattoos on the Iceman, the mummified human found in the Alps and radiocarbon dated back to 3000 BC. The Iceman's back, left leg, and right ankle are marked with short blue lines. Now, these may be scars from primitive surgeries, or they may be proper tattoos. Although this practice is ancient, the word tattoo itself came into English in the 1700s. That's when James Cook, a British captain, undertook three expeditions to the Pacific Ocean. He found and charted New Zealand, accidentally landed in Australia, and visited Jakarta and Tahiti. He brought back huge amounts of navigational information to England, And he brought back the Tahitian word tattoo, T-A-T-A-U, meaning to mark. He recorded this as tata in his journals. Over time, this became tattoo in English and tattoo in French. One final note, the original Tahitian word may be an onomatopoeia, a word that imitates the sound it represents. In this case, tat may refer to the tapping sound a mallet makes when striking a needle made of wood or bone. Now, let's jump to the other meaning of tattoo. Remember this sound? 
That's a military tattoo. It's a signal sounded by a drum or bugle and used to recall soldiers to their quarters at night. This version of tattoo comes from the Dutch phrase "do den tap to," meaning to close the tap, as in to close the tap on a keg. You see, back in the 1600s, much of Europe was tied up in the Thirty Years' War. Perhaps because the war stretched out for so long, soldiers would often wander off to their local pubs during the day. In the Netherlands, drummers were sent into town every evening at 9:30 to call them back. This drumbeat was also a signal to innkeepers: turn off your tap and kick the soldiers out. That's where "do den tap to" (close the taps) came from. Over time, that was shortened to "tap to" and eventually "tattoo." Today, these kinds of tattoos are still used in the military. On U.S. Army bases, for example, a bugle signals key events throughout the day. Reveille, played at 6:30 a.m., means it's time for morning roll call and to raise the flag. Retreat, played at 5 p.m., signals the end of the duty day and the lowering of the flag. Call to quarters at 10 p.m. means head back to your quarters for the night. Tattoo at 10:45 p.m. means turn out the lights within 15 minutes. And taps at 11 p.m. means lights out. The meaning of a military tattoo has also expanded over time to include military music in general. This type of music is celebrated at festivals around the world that gather bagpipers, military bands, drill teams, and fife and drum corps. The most famous may be the Royal Edinburgh Military Tattoo. This month-long festival kicked off in 1950 and has been held yearly ever since. So that's the skinny on the two types of tattoo. One marks your skin; the other marks the end of the day. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicklaus and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound, or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at ococean.com. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention, host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times best-selling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. 
And as the Washington Post and the Guardian said, missing pages is a quote must listen, and I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. This next segment is by Roger J. Cruz. When Toni Morrison died on August 5th in 2019, the world lost one of its most influential literary voices. But Morrison wasn't a literary wonderkind. The Bluest Eye, Morrison's first novel, wasn't published until she was 39, and her last, God Help the Child, appeared when she was 84. Morrison published four novels, four children's books, many essays, and other works of nonfiction after the age of 70. And Morrison isn't unique in this regard. Numerous writers produced significant work well into their 70s, 80s, and even their 90s. Herman Woke, for example, was 97 when he published his final novel, The Lawgiver. Such literary feats underscore an important point. Age doesn't seem to diminish our capacity to speak, write, and learn new vocabulary. Our eyesight may dim and our recall may falter, but by comparison, our ability to produce and to comprehend language is well-preserved into older adulthood. In our book, Changing Minds, How Aging Affects Language and How Language Affects Aging, my co-author Richard M. Roberts and I highlight some of the latest research that's emerged on language and aging. For those who might fear the loss of their language abilities as they grow older, there's plenty of good news to report. Some aspects of our language abilities, such as our knowledge of word meanings, actually improve during middle and late adulthood. One study, for example, found that older adults living in a retirement community near Chicago had an average vocabulary size of over 21,000 words. The researchers also studied a sample of college students and found that their average vocabularies included only about 16,000 words. In another study, older adult speakers of Hebrew, with an average age of 75, performed better than younger and middle-aged participants on discerning the meaning of words. On the other hand, our language abilities sometimes function as a canary in the cognitive coal mine. They can be a sign of future mental impairment decades before such issues manifest themselves. In 1996, epidemiologist David Snowden and a team of researchers studied the writing samples of women who had become nuns. They found that the grammatical complexity of essays written by the nuns when they joined their religious order could predict which sisters would develop dementia several decades later. Hundreds of nuns have donated their brains to science, and this allows for a conclusive diagnosis of dementia. While Toni Morrison's writing remained searingly clear and focused as she aged, other authors haven't been as fortunate. The prose in Iris Murdoch's final novel, Jackson's Dilemma, suggests some degree of cognitive impairment. Indeed, she died from dementia-related causes four years after its publication. Our ability to read and write can be preserved well into older adulthood, but making use of these abilities is important because reading and writing seem to prevent cognitive decline. Keeping a journal, for example, has been shown to substantially reduce the risk of developing various forms of dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. Reading fiction, meanwhile, has been associated with a longer lifespan. A large-scale study conducted by the Yale University School of Public Health 
found that people who read books for at least 30 minutes a day lived on average nearly two years longer than non-readers. This effect persisted even after controlling for factors like gender, education, and health. The researchers suggest that the imaginative work of constructing a fictional universe in our heads helps grease our cognitive wheels. Language is a constant companion during our life journey, so perhaps it's no surprise that it's interwoven into our health and our longevity. And researchers continue to make discoveries about the connections between language and aging. For example, a study published in July 2019 found that studying a foreign language in older adulthood improves cognitive functioning. A thread seems to run through most of the findings. In order to age well, it helps to keep reading, writing, and talking. While few of us possess the gifts of a Toni Morrison, all of us stand to gain by continuing to flex our literary muscles. That segment was written by Roger J. Cruz, Associate Dean in the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Memphis. Richard M. Roberts, a Foreign Service Officer, also contributed. It originally appeared in The Conversation and appears here through a Creative Commons license. And if you're interested in this topic, you may also enjoy an interview I did with author Bourne Morris back in 2020, when she was around 80 and publishing her fourth novel, A Woman of Two Minds. Here's a short clip. Sometimes your best writing comes when you're older. Right. So what advice do you have for people who have maybe been thinking about writing for a long time and suddenly, for whatever reason, they they retired, they got laid off, their kids are out of the house, they find themselves with some more time, you know, and they're thinking maybe now is the time. Um, how do you how do you sort of? Well, I, I would say if you if you have a book you want to write, write your book. Um, the late Mike Land, who was a wonderful writer, once said, have have your baby, plant your garden, write your book. <laughs> uh, you should do what you really want to do. And if, if you have the time to do it, uh, I would say sit down, start to write. Um, you may want to do an outline. Uh, I never do, uh, although I always know how the book ends. I just don't always know what's going to happen in the middle. And the other piece of advice I would give is what I used to tell my students, which is write it. Write it with all the mistakes, spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes. Write it with factual errors. Just write it from beginning to end and then go back and start to edit. Don't stop and edit every every day when you're writing because you'll never get it finished. If you want to hear more, that was episode 753, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Finally, I have a Familect story. Hi, Mignon. Luke here. I have a family, I think it's a family, um, from my mother. Also, when we asked her what was for dinner, she didn't like that. She would get annoyed also. Seems to be pretty common. And she would always tell us, we're going to have caca frita for dinner. I won't translate it, but that was what the common answer was in our house, caca frita. (laughs) Thanks, Luke. I can guess, and I'll leave it to the listeners to do so, too. If you want to share the story of your family act, a word your family and only your family uses, call the voicemail line at 833214-GIRL. It's in the show notes, and be sure to tell me the story behind your family act, because that's always the best part. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to our audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and our director of podcasts, Adam Cecil. 
Thanks also to our ad operations specialist, Morgan Christensen, our marketing associate, Davina Tomlin, and our digital operations specialist, Holly Hutchings, who's learning to cook fish, salmon, and cod are next on the list. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.